Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to share a couple of near-death experiences today. And uh, and the first one is by Mary Ann. And uh, she says, uh, and she was in an accident, a car accident. She says, I remember being thrown from the car and my head hitting the divider. I was knocked unconscious. My first memory was looking down from the ceiling and seeing my parents crying. I thought I was awake. The next memory, I was in bed and I could see a light in the middle of the room. An Irish nurse came over to me and said, Look at this pretty darling. I'm going to clean her up. Then the other nurse calling her said, There's nothing we can do for her, so take care of the others first. I said to myself, Am I dead? I was so scared. Then I found myself going fast up this dark tunnel. I was still scared, but I could see a very small light at the very end of the tunnel. Then I was in this beautiful light. My girlfriend's sister, Kathleen, greeted me. She was wearing white and was all aglow. She told me not to be afraid. I asked her if I could speak to God. Then God came down like on an elevator from a higher heaven, and sat down in front of me. God looked like Jesus in an all-white gown, and he was big, about six foot five inches tall. I know I could not see myself. God asked if I wanted to stay or go back while he let me look down and see my mother and sisters, who were small at the time, in the kitchen. My father was drunk. I was in such peace and surrounded by such beauty, I did not want to come back. But I told God, You see, Father, I have to go back. God then showed me my whole life. He told me I would have thirteen children, but three would not live. I would be married three times. The second marriage would be like going through hell with an abusive husband. The third man would change my whole life around and would be my reward later in life. He showed me what I would be living through before I came to heaven. He told me my daughter would come back to heaven, which has happened. Then I was taken to this beautiful garden where the flowers were indescribable. I've never seen flowers like that before. The aroma, well, let's put it like this. I don't know how to put it into words. Angels came, and I felt like I was flying with them. I looked up and saw this big church, and the next thing I know, I was sitting down and watching television. I was shown lots of disasters. I was so frightened. I saw fire and under-the-ground explosions in New York City. I did see peace after all that I was shown. I was shown so much I did not like. The problems I saw were all over religion. At that time, I couldn't believe that people would fight over God. Then I was taken into this forest and shown a cure for cancer. I was so excited I couldn't wait to get back to tell everybody. I felt so smart because I was not so very smart in school. I believe it had to do with flowers and leaves. God told me I would not be able to talk about it because that memory would be taken away from me. 
until later on in my life. God was telling me about my life. I was saying to myself, I would never do that. Like being married three times and having 13 children. I remember God is very forgiving. We are all loving, or we are all loved, and we must learn to forgive each other. The love I felt there was so overwhelming. I did not want to go back to life on earth, but I knew I had to. I remember saying, I want you to know this is the first time I've been on a typewriter since I was in school. I don't think I did so bad. Then I was talking to a machine and told to press a button, and I did. Next, I woke up with my girlfriend Eileen standing over me. I said to her, Your sister Kathleen told me to tell you she thanks you for taking care of her children. Then fell back into coma. When I woke up next, I didn't know why I was in the hospital until my father told me about the car accident. I looked down and saw my left leg cut across my knee. A few days later, I was let out of the hospital. Then I told my father what I had seen. He told me not to speak of this or the doctors would put me in the nut house. From time to time, I would tell a little of what I saw, but people would look at me like I was nuts, so I just kept it to myself. That's the end of Marianne's experience. Okay, interesting. So I'm finding this to be a uh, maybe a two on the detail scale because there's some pretty impressive things that happen to uh, Marianne, but uh, but she doesn't go into a lot of detail. So, I mean, for example, we, you know, I, and I think what's happening is that, you know, for example, if I say I got up, I ate breakfast, and I went to school, somebody who's not familiar with breakfast or American culture, or or food, um, may think, okay, so did they get up and slaughter a cow? And, you know, I mean, they, what what does that entail? You know, we we just don't have, the, if, you, if they just don't have a reference for what it means to get up, eat breakfast, and go to school, and what school is, then hearing that, it doesn't help very much. And, and that's kind of what's happening here. Um, she says that uh, she was, okay, knocked unconscious. Um, she sees a doctor. She says, am I dead? She says, then I found myself going fast up this dark tunnel. Um, I was still scared, but I could see a very small light at the very end of the tunnel. This is a beautiful light. Uh, my, my girlfriend's sister Kathleen greeted me. She was wearing white and was all aglow. Uh, she told me not to be afraid. You know, all this stuff, it's like, wait a minute tunnel what what did this tunnel look like are we talking a cloud tunnel are we talking you know you're running up this cave are you flying through space with stars spinning in this tunnel-like fashion i mean what what are we talking about a tunnel or are we talking about some big tube you know is this some kind of luge type of thing and then i was in this beautiful light are we talking like sunlight or did it look like a giant light bulb or you know and and this is the case with most near-death experiences, they don't go into a lot of detail. And so if you ever have a near-death experience and you have the time or resources to do so, share those details. Whether they seem important to you or not is not what matters necessarily, but uh, but rather how people receive it. Because, yeah, and, and then here's the thing too, you can have different experiences. If you're 
whole focus in telling the story, say you're giving a keynote speech and, and you're talking about your experience and you want to focus on your experience being with God, for example, and, and what his words were to you, then okay, rush through in some cases. But anytime you've got a situation where you can give more detail and more, um, uh, just the slightest of details. I mean, I don't know if this person's floating in space. I don't know if they're floating in this just light realm. I don't know if they're standing in a room where there's light. I mean, in our mortal human form, if you're if you, you know, woke up and, you know, you got out of bed and then you you find yourself in this light and there's somebody there, it's assumed that you're standing on a floor. I mean, <laughs> or maybe sitting on a floor. I don't know. Kneeling, whatever. But if you don't give us those details, we don't know. And, you know, I'm not trying to uh, to critique this um, this account by any means, but what I am saying is that, you know, these experiences are coming in all the time, and this is what I would consider the first generation of experiences just being uploaded, okay, that people are putting up their experiences just in a few paragraphs, this is what happened to me, and that's it, you know, and that's great, because it's allowing us as individuals to, uh, to uh, who haven't had this experience to read these things and get a little bit of a uh, uh, broad view of what the other side is like, of what death is like. And yet I think the next generation is going to have to be a little more detailed. I mean, think about it. When you go to Hawaii, for example, you don't say, yeah, we got off the plane, then we went to the beach and jumped in the water and, and say, and it was fun. Good. So, uh, I mean, what did the beach look like? I've never been on a uh, an island beach. What was that like? Oh, there was water and there was sand. Well, cool, but I mean, like, you know, was the sky like it is here? Or, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Um, when somebody shares their experience of France, for example, they usually give some pretty cool details. And, it, and it's not that they're saying, and then I stepped here, and then I stepped here in my walk, and then, and then I passed the garbage can, and then I passed it. No, but the things they do notice, they give as much detail as they can. Of they may say the Eiffel Tower is so much bigger than it looks in the pictures, or or maybe they'll say, you know, in the pictures it looks so big, but it really didn't look all that big to me. It was kind of like, you know, if I just grabbed on, I could have climbed up, or you know, I, I don't know. I've never been to France, so I don't know what that experience is like. But when people give more details, you're able to form a a, a little bit more detailed picture in your mind. Um, you know, it, at least those who haven't been there, haven't experienced it. What, so I'm hoping the next generation will give more detail. And if Raymond Moody's prediction is correct, then in, in the next couple of generations, we will be able to describe these experiences with wording and ways that we just don't even have yet. And so... The only way that's going to happen is if we keep uploading these, keep sharing these experiences in whatever form works best for you. So uh, that's just a few thoughts about uh, describing the experience. Uh, she does say that, uh, which is very cool, she says that, uh, um, you know, after her girlfriend's sister Kathleen greeted her, uh, she, that uh, she asked if I could speak to God. 
She, I, says, I asked her if I could speak to God, is what she said. And then God came down, like on an elevator. So I'm picturing him kind of, you know, descending from above, from a higher heaven, as she says, and sat down in front of me. That's interesting, sat down. So that makes me think maybe they were on ground. And if not, maybe they were floating in air as if on ground. I don't know, you know. Um, but I imagine they're on ground of some kind. Interesting. See, I didn't catch that detail before. And what is the ground like? Are they standing on this? You know, I don't know. She didn't say. Um, but anyway, then she says, God looked like Jesus in an all-white gown. And he was big. Now, all you uh, Christians and biblical people should... Um, be grateful to hear that because, you know, um, it's said that that uh, Jesus Christ is is in the image of God, that he is in the express image of God. I don't remember the wording. I'm sorry about that. But uh, that's very interesting. Very interesting that seeing God, if you didn't have that spiritual discernment to recognize it as God, you might think it's Jesus. And, you know, that's not far off, so it's not like you would be sadly mistaken. You would just be mildly mistaken in a harmless way, you know. <laughs> so it makes you wonder how many people who are seeing God are seeing Jesus and how many seeing Jesus are, seeing, are actually seeing God. I don't know. But clearly she recognized God and said God looked like Jesus. Or was she actually seeing Jesus? I don't know. You know, and she thought it was God. I don't know. Anyway, so he's in an all-white gown. He was big, about six foot, five inches tall. That's kind of cool. And uh, and then God starts talking to her. Do you want to go back? And she's kind of thinking, I don't want to go back. But, uh, but she says, but I told God, you see, Father, I have to go back. God sh then showed me my whole life. Now, there's something missing here. I don't know what it is. But something happens between not wanting to go back, but telling God, I have to go back. Now, it could be, you know, that she had this impression that she still had, <coughs> that she had this impression that she still had things to do. Or maybe she had memory of things she had promised to do. I don't know. It, it doesn't say. But then he takes her to a garden and as is common among gardens seen on the other side. It's this beautiful garden, and uh, flowers are indescribable. She says that she's never seen flowers like that before, and, and tries in vain to describe the aroma, which is just to say, I don't, I can't put it into words. And then she sees, uh, um, kind of has, not exactly a life review, but this is one of those, um, you know, future potential... Uh, things uh, of what's going on in the earth uh, by watching them on a television, which is interesting. I, I wonder if this is just a you know old-fashioned TV or if it's like a um, or what because it says it, this is interesting too that the near-death experience occurred in February of 1961. So what kind of television that would have been is kind of interesting. But at the same time too, um, you know, seeing something in any kind of either two-dimensional, even three-dimensional way, may be described as a television to somebody in 1961 because, and and you know, because now we've got every different kind of media 
form from movie theaters to to uh, uh, computer you know screens and and virtual reality and who knows what else but uh, uh, but that may have been the best description um, but and since we don't have a lot of detail we can't say for sure but uh, um, kind of interesting they saw it on TV but saw some things that were coming in the future or potential things probably so shown disasters frightening fire under the ground explosions in New York City um, you know and then peace after all of that um, and and that the problems were all over religion which is interesting as well it's hard to say whether a lot of these kinds of of experiences when when they see such turmoil over you know disasters and so forth and wars and so forth are these a warning that they're being told to you know to bring back and warm people about or are they just kind of a thing that you know if we show enough people this maybe they'll change their ways or what i i don't know i don't know what the purpose of it all is and they're not always given clear messages of what they're to do with what they saw either and you know this is all that we have as far as the details given about this but this is an interesting thing and one that i find especially interesting um she has shown the cure for cancer and she wants to go back and and show it but she's not allowed to remember it all she remembers that it ha is that it had something to do with flowers and leaves. Which, of course, with the thousands upon hundreds of thousands of plant species in the world, how could one know? And yet, is this, you know, some kind of antidote? Or is it more of a preventative thing? We, you know, who knows? Flowers and leaves, though. That's very interesting. Could that be broccoli and kale? I don't know yet. <laughs> but anyway... Um, it, it's interesting that uh, they're shown the cure for cancer, but not allowed to bring it back. Why would that be? I don't know. Except maybe that, uh, you know, it comes from the next paragraph where it says, I remember God is very forgiving. We are all loved and we must learn to forgive each other. The love I felt was so overwhelming. Uh, could it be that we have to increase in love here in order to be able to process the information that we need to be able to come up with a cure for hand cancer. That almost sounds like it suggests some kind of energy type work. Maybe it is, maybe not. I kind of doubt it though. I suspect that this is a physical cure, something that if we had the recipe, we could do it, but uh, that we're not ready for that. And what that could be saying to me is that cancer is doing a good job teaching us some of the love that we haven't yet fully learned. Total speculation, I don't know, but it's a thought. And it makes me think we need to learn these lessons so that we can move on as a species, a mortal species on earth, so that we can get on to the better life that God has available to us if we will, if we will take the steps necessary. And of course, if we don't, or if we go down a worse path there's all these fires and explosions and terrible things coming that are the alternative so it's kind of like let's get on with doing it right guys let's get on with doing it right so that's interesting okay 
Here is another one. This is uh, Aaron with an E-R-I-N. So I'm... Um, and, and based on the experience, it, it appears that this is a female, Aaron. Okay, so Aaron says, Two weeks after the birth of my second child, I was still experiencing a large amount of bleeding. So, obviously, Aaron's the one that gave birth. Fist-sized blood clots, she says. My then-husband, now ex, took me to the nearest hospital in Olympia, Washington, after he arrived home from school to begin or to find me going into shock. My skin was gray and clammy. The bleeding would not stop. I was freezing cold. Shortly after we got to the emergency room, I could see only fuzzy images of the staff and my husband. I could hear them talking, but their speech became muffled, like the speech of the adults in Charlie Brown cartoons. I could only vaguely feel my husband's hand holding mine, then a figure sort of ceased to be fuzzy. He did not just appear. He was there all along, but he just became clear while everyone else remained fuzzy. He took my hand, and I could feel each of his fingers. His voice was clear and normal, while the others remained muffled. He wore white, but I don't know if it was a suit, a robe, or something else. He said, Don't be afraid. Actually, I wasn't afraid to begin with, and I felt very calm at the sight of him. He said some things that I have never repeated and never will, and then said that we would be together, uh, that we would be together someday. I was transferred to another hospital in Lacey, Washington, and had a dilation and curet DNC, or curetage DNC to remove part of the placenta that had not been expelled when my daughter was born. For the next 11 years, I assumed that, if the experience was even real, the man was an angel or something that I would see someday in the afterlife. I divorced my husband and moved several times with my children. We ended up where we are now last summer. That's 2001. I came to the area several times, a few days at a time, and we moved here a few days before we were to each start school. I saw the man from this experience about two days after we settled in here. He does not seem to recognize me, but it def it's definitely him. He looks and sounds the same. He hasn't aged, though I think I would know him even if he had. Some of the things he said to me in 1990 have been validated, beginning immediately after I saw him. It is extremely frustrating to me that he does not recognize me, or is not letting on if he does, because I know he is supposed to. That's the end of the experience. Now this is interesting in the sense of, uh, for example, um, I, I'm not clear, was this man in the room, you know, when she came in and everything's normal and there's people all around, he's just among them, and then as the others go fuzzy, he remains clear, or is it like as the others become unclear, he kind of fuzzes into um, into her presence? She she does say he did not just appear; he was there all along, but he just became clear while the others remained fuzzy. Was it that 
kind of like this idea of being in the peripheral vision, but really not noticing. Um, so as to suggest that there are beings around us that are there all along, and if and if everything else faded out, we would begin to see them. Is it that kind of idea, or is it that he was one of the people that I, I gather that he was one of the people that was there all along, but as the others faded out, he became clear. And then she says that. Um, he took my hand and I could feel each of his fingers. His voice was clear and normal while the others remained muffled. Remember, she said, like Charlie Brown called it, cartoons. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> their, their voices are just fading out and, and she's not able to understand anymore. But his voice becomes clear. He's wearing white, though she doesn't know what exactly he's wearing. Um, but he says, don't be afraid. And then he tells her things that she won't repeat. But we get a clue of what he said from uh, what she says um, when she says that uh, some of the things he said to me in 1990 have been validated, beginning immediately after I saw him. So there must have been something about things that are to come in the future, either her future, world future, I don't know. But uh, whatever things he said started happening immediately after. And... She gathers that this was an angel and that she would see him again in the afterlife. But the strange and interesting thing is she meets him as a mortal being later. I mean, it's, it's what, um, 2001 when she moves. So this is about 11 years later that she sees this man and he is um, there in this place and hasn't aged. Now, I'm assuming by this that he was quite young, at least in prime or younger, because uh, because otherwise, you know, I mean, if he was in his 50s and didn't seem to age to 60, I mean, sometimes people don't look that different from 50 to 60 or from 60 to 70 or whatever, you know, I mean, the older you get, the less difference 10 years seems to make until you get into the last 10 years of your life, whatever those are. Uh, and then there seems to be quite a bit more aging quickly. But from, you know, 25 to 35, you probably wouldn't, I don't know, maybe you'd notice the difference, I, I suppose. 35 to 45, you probably would notice a difference. And then after that, just, you know, it, anyway, um, well, um, 11 years, not 10 years. But it's interesting. What does that mean that he is apparently immortal on this earth? And of course, I have no idea. But a few things come to mind. And this is not the first time that I've heard of someone seeing a being in their near-death experience who spoke to them, gave them instruction even, and then met them in mortality later. Now, sometimes, I, you know, if it's 30 years later and the person's 30 years old, then, okay, that makes sense. They're seeing somebody before they were born on this earth, and, and we get that. But this is the second time that it's been somebody who was obviously alive on the earth at the time, because she didn't say this was an 11-year-old boy that approached her. She said it was a man in either a suit or a robe or something. And uh, 
and he was, um, you know, remained clear. She saw him well enough that, uh, that she recognized him 11 years later and didn't seem to have aged. Um, the other instance of this was a woman who saw someone in her experience and was given instruction by this man. And then several years later, I don't know how many exactly, but it wasn't, you know, 30. It was, you know, a, a short time later. Um, she met him while uh, visiting another country. And she talked to him and he's like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, kind of asking him, I, uh, have you seen me before? Do I look familiar to you? Have you had any kind of spiritual experiences? Kind of asking kind of vague questions before um, telling him the whole experience that she has. And he didn't recognize her at all. But there, that's interesting. And here, reading this, is the second time this seems to have happened. Now, a couple of things. It's possible that these people weren't leading on. That they were actually angels. That they stay angels and stay the same age or whatever. And and so forth. But another possibility comes to me, and this is from another strange phenomenon that I've heard of and have no explanation for, and that is, there is a story, for example, of a woman who, uh, who has dreams at night that she is going and helping these people in the, some foreign country and uh, and she's giving them instructions, helping them to prepare them for uh, something, I don't know, help them through some difficult time that their people are having. I, I honestly don't remember the details, which makes this totally a rumor and <laughs> something that you would have to uh, research. I think it was on that Snap Judgment podcast that I heard about it, or, or one of those like that. Um, but anyway... Um, she goes and she's she's having dreams of helping these people. Well, years, years later, after having these dreams, she goes back and they recognize her as an angel that had come to them years earlier to help them through something or other. I mean, what, what in the world, you know? <laughs> Is it possible? I mean, I'm not suggesting that I suspect this because I it's just too out there for me to to have a hypothesis um, but is it possible what if sometimes in our either in our sleep or in states of I don't know what meditation or what that we as spirits go and be angels to other people I mean ah that's that's really out there but that is the only thing I can think of. Assuming that this guy really is just, you know, some neighbor and is like, I don't know what you're talking about, lady. You know, unless it would be interesting. She should ask him, does he have a twin that died at birth? That would be interesting. <laughs> and that would explain things very clearly. Same with the other lady that, uh, you know, met the guy that she'd met. Um, be interesting to find out if he has a twin or something or, or even a father that, you know, looks almost exactly like him or something like that. I don't know. Um, again, just some some things to chew on, some thoughts, so that you don't have to think that this doesn't qualify because it's just too out there. You know, this is 
bizarre. And I think a lot of the bizarre things that happen that just seem like weird curiosities, often they're just God working his miracles. And he does most of his miracles through us, his children, be they living mortal children or post-mortal or pre-mortal children of his. He loves to allow us to bless and bring love to each other. And so, and maybe I can leave that as a, as a little um, message in this, just for fun, is that there's no reason that we can't be the angels that God sends to do good for people, to bring love, to bring relief, to bring help to reach out to each other. I mean, isn't that the stuff that really shines as as what turns out to be really meaningful when we have our life review, we look back and we see these simple acts of love and compassion that we do, and those are the things that are just like, I mean, applauded in heaven by angelic choirs and, and so forth. I mean, it's like all of eternity is rejoicing to see these acts of love that we do in this life. So be the angel for someone. Be their, their, you know, miracle that they've been praying for. That doesn't mean you have to go and provide them the $100,000 that they need for whatever. If you don't have that, obviously that's not going to be the service you're going to render. But again, it doesn't have to be big. It could be showing up. Hey, I was thinking about you. Thought I'd come and see if you needed somebody to talk to. That is a miracle, and that is being an angel to someone. So I would encourage you, please do that for other people. If you would like to contact the podcast, you can do so by calling 970-NDE-CAST. Leave a three-minute message and keep calling back until you get your whole message uh, shared with us so we can share it on the podcast. You can also... Email neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. And if you feel so inclined to support the podcast financially, you can do so at neardeathexperiencepodcast.org and by clicking on the, the tab that says support the podcast. What they will do is take you to the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash ndecast. And there you can pledge uh, so much per month. And I have promised on that page to those who, who, who contribute, if it gets to the point where there's more than $50 coming in per month, I will do an additional episode per week. If it gets to the point where there's more than $200 coming in per month, I will happily and joyfully do a second uh, extra per week, making it so that those who are contributing get two extra podcasts per week, making a, you know, one per day, every day of the week, if they include what's coming up on the website itself and coming up on iTunes. But in order to get those two extra podcasts, you will have to be a contributor. That's just my way of saying thank you, thank you, thank you for your help. Because while I love doing this and I intend to keep doing it, having some kind of support like that would really help to <laughs> make up some of the time that it takes to do this because it does take a lot of time. 
But if all you can do to support the show is listen and maybe occasionally share an episode, that is wonderful. Because having you hear these things, if it's making any difference to you, then it is totally worth it to me. And with that, thank you all of you so much again for listening.